us off um, about like who you are, uh, your background up until this point of becoming a recruitment coach, uh, just so people can sort of, like I said, have some context around, um, yeah, you. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, so I actually got into recruitment quite late. Uh, I was 2018, so I was like 30 when I started recruitment, um, just turning 30. So yeah, quite late. Um, and I just, again, like everybody, it's something I just fell into. Um, previously I'd been in the fitness industry from like 17 to as soon as I left school and college, I was in the fitness industry. I uh, always wanted to be a personal trainer because I just love sport and fitness and all that jazz that everyone, every like 17 year old boy does. So, um, yeah, I went down the fitness route. Uh, I was a personal trainer, worked my way up into sort of fitness management. So I was running a team of 30 people. And it was great. I loved it. But if anyone's worked in the fitness industry, they know you're working all the hours under the sun and mm. getting no money, um, which is awful. You, I had like 30 people working under me, working for 40, 50, 60 hours a week. No bank holidays because I was always working the bank holidays, always working weekends. And you're getting about 22K a year, which is rubbish. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, I just wanted to leave, but I never knew what to go into. And then I, I really kind of liked the, the people development side of things. So I wanted to go into HR, so I trained in HR. Um, and then I got a call one day from a recruiter who actually was a member at the gym I worked at, just saying, do you want to get into recruitment? My first thought was absolutely not. Why would I want to do that? Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't really know anything about recruitment other than the classic sleazy recruiter that's just there for money and isn't very good. Uh, yeah. but I had a few chats with him and he called us, kind of sold me the dream. Um, and yeah, I didn't really know anything about recruitment. So I was like, well, this will boost my HR career if I know more about recruitment. So I got into it and then loved it. Like first couple of weeks, really loved it. Had the highs and lows, obviously, uh, of like, one day being brilliant, getting all the CVs out, everyone's answering the phone. Next day, no one answers the phone. You get no CVs, interviews drop out, um, and it was really stressful. But I got, I still loved it. I got the bug for it. So I recruited for um, a couple of years, then COVID hit. Um, and we were only a small sort of business. There was like six of us in total, including the owners. So we were doing blue-collar engineers, like field engineers, mm. which was a massive hit through COVID because everything was shut. So there's no need for, like, I was dealing with door engineers and fire alarm engineers and catering engineers, all of that shut. So there's no need for engineers in those sectors. So we went on furlough, which was great, but then obviously we had to start paying their employees again. Um, so we, we folded. So for, I went into the sales world for a little bit, doing some field sales in the wonderful world of lawn treatment, which was, Interesting. Didn't know that was a sector, but then did that for a little bit. And then as the, the market settled again, I went for a recruitment coach, uh, like an L&D role at a, quite a big company, actually, um, doing the grad scheme. So I'd be taking in sort of 12 grads at a time who'd never mm. done recruitment, teaching the absolute basics, doing some cool coaching with them, a little bit of desk coaching, but mostly it was classroom based. And just getting these people who've never done recruitment at all to understand every single thing about recruitment in like a week, then let them loose on their desk, then come and do call coaching with them, which I really found beneficial. 
Yeah. Did that for about a year, and then I've come here to Astute, um, which is still in the engineering world, but it's all sort of power generation. Uh, and now I'm dealing with not just like new starters, but some really experienced recruiters as well. So quite varied. So I'm helping because we've got two coaches here, which is great. So we're about 70 people and we've got two coaches for those 70 people. So there's a lot of investment in an LD here. Um, so I'm dealing with the sort of the 360, you call it, we call them recruitment partners. So uh, helping them with their, their new BD outreach, how to build their accounts up, um, all that side of things, but they also do find candidates as well. So they've got a 360 role. So I'm doing basically everything with them, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, I've, I've got a really varied role doing this. So I've got a lot of experience in coaching different levels, different industries. Uh, it's been a massive learning journey for me, really, in the last couple of years doing the coaching side, because obviously I had my desk and knew how to do my desk and my approach and how that worked for me. But you've spoken about it a few times on, on your podcast, like there's no one size fits all. Um, no. Like your approach, some people cringe and think, oh God, that's not how I'd do it. I'd do it this way, but that's that works for them, that works for their market. So I've had to really learn how to do recruitment in multiple different ways so that I can teach these people. So it's a really interesting role, really love it. Um, and yes, every day is a school day. It's a bit of a cliche, but it is for me really. So mm. yeah, there's a, a brief overview of my journey so far. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, really. It, it, you're totally right. Like it, it, it's, it, recruitment and, and sales. Um, you know, some people don't consider some people don't consider recruitment a sales job, and I think the reason is because they don't they either don't understand what recruiters do, or they're talking typically about uh, a delivery consultant, which is still you know still selling. Uh, you're obviously just selling to candidates, but I think when people think sales, they also think like specifically business development you know going out to btc or yeah. b2b and trying to win business as opposed to sort of selling a candidate on an opportunity um and or also they're talking about like internal recruitment as well like i've had conversations with people um about recruitment and then about a couple of minutes in i'm like oh right you're disagreeing because you're on about talent acquisition you're on about internal recruiters you're not on about agency recruiters and they're like no no so there's i always i for me, I always, because um, my background was always 360 recruitment. Like I've, I've never, I've, I think, I think I did delivery for the first few months at my first ever agency, which was not really a real recruitment job, to be honest. Yeah. But, but um, other than that, I've always done 360. So for me, my immediate initial reaction when I hear recruiter is 360 recruiter, someone who manages the entire life cycle, which isn't always the case, obviously. So um, yeah, I think that's where a lot of the disagreements come, but. It's uh, it's definitely like one where, and you probably come across this obviously a, a lot as a coach, like especially on LinkedIn. It doesn't matter how good your credibility is. It doesn't matter how, even if you're like talking from experience of stuff that actually works. People will still disagree with you, right? Always, yeah, always. Like I, I get it when I coach people. Like you get it on LinkedIn. There's people have got their way of doing it like i said and no other way would work and they're quite shut off to that um which i kind of had to battle with that when i first started coaching people um but yeah every day it's like oh that won't work on this desk and like fine it might not but the point of a coach is to not 
teach one way. Mm. So I, I try and find ways of kind of molding what they already have. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't try and force them to change completely. I, I like the, it's the personal approach that you get. So I did a post about uh, AI and recruitment and how AI is going to take down recruitment, but it's not. It's just going to help us. Like AI hasn't got a human element of having a personality. So I like to help people get their personality across and do it their way. So yes, there might be certain frameworks or models that I teach them, but you can apply them in lots of different ways. Like mm. injection handling, multiple different frameworks for that. Which one fits them best? So yeah, you, you always do come against people that don't think your way is going to work, but I don't teach a certain way. Um, and like we said, there's so many different ways to skin a cat. It's you know, it's just finding the best way for each person. So um, I kind of welcome a bit of bit of resilience, a bit of resistance sometimes from people because it just makes it a bit more fun. <laughs> if I just turned up and went, oh, I'll do it this way, and everyone did it, it'd be a bit boring, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, I think one of the I think one of the reasons that recruitment industry can be fr quite frustrating for many people in in certain types of agencies usually like bigger size corporate ones is they don't take that individual approach you know what i mean they don't they don't even have like so many agencies don't have lnd they'll have like a manager or a senior person who runs a workshop occasionally but they don't have anyone like actually dedicated to like focusing on coaching focusing on like you know, exploring new techniques and new ways to do things. And I think that's such a shame. And it's also one of the reasons that recruitment's got the reputation it has because so many people are just not getting the train. I would say the majority, actually, the majority of trainees are not getting the, the, the training they need. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember uh, when I first started, I was working at my t first tech recruitment role and one of the selling points was, um, you know, we invest a lot in training and I was just like, okay, awesome. That sounds, sounds great. Now it's, I've since learned that everyone says that, even if they don't do it, they just say mm -hmm. it because it gets people through the door. But I remember doing a session on, um, on fab selling. Yeah. And, uh, Love fab selling. It's nice yeah. basic. Yeah. To use. Yeah. But the, I remember one of the, the guys, he was, um, so the way it was structured, it was so, it was so, grating the way it was presented and it was presented by um a couple of the directors who were very good at what they did but they weren't lnd people and the it looked like the presentation was put together in like half an hour and it was just like you know they yeah. sort of taken a they googled what is fab selling and then like <laughs> told us about it and we were like some of us have been doing sales for like six years so we don't need to learn about this um yeah and this guy he just joined from London, and he uh, he actually like left the training halfway through because he just. I remember him walking out, and then I spoke to him afterwards because um, he said he had a call, and he's like, "I didn't have a call. I just I, I was so bored, and I've just joined the business on the basis that they invest loads in training. If this is what what's to come, like Jesus Christ, I've made a wrong decision." So yeah, um, yeah it is funny, but. In terms of like, because obviously, you know, you, you you started off doing grads, you said, yeah? Yeah, that was my first thing, was doing grads, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, it's a um, bit of a challenge there. I bet, I bet. And I'd love <laughs> to hear about it. Um, what would be great is, because I'm sure a lot of people here are, like listening to this, uh, 
just either looking into recruitment or um, just started recruitment. So how do you how do you help people get off to the best start? What advice would you give to grads? How did you run that? Like, if you could just go through as much yeah, as possible. So there's, there's, a, there's a couple of different methods that people use. So like I was doing a grad scheme before um, where there's 10 to 12 different grads all in a, a room, but they're all in different desks completely, like different sectors. So yes, they're in engineering, but they're like, want to be manufacturing, want to be maritime, want to be automation, want to be interior design. So it was a few different things. So it's trying to tailor it all to the different ways of doing it because different industries work different ways. So that was quite tough. So um, I got a lot out of just doing the desk coaching. So what I'm doing now is, is basically just all the desk coaching. So even if we've got like four starters, they all get individual training. So they'll sit down, uh, they'll have their basic process training. After that, comes to me and I do a lot of call coaching, which I know isn't a facility that a lot of people have, but it's well worth it. So if there's any business leaders listening, you don't have call coaching, get it, get some call recording because that is where you see some real growth. Cause I have people a lot of time, this is a great call. And then this is the back that wasn't great at all. That was really bad. Mm. <laughs> so, and so they can learn from it. But what I tend to do is just, I keep it really basic with them. I use things like a fab cell. It's a real basic, structure that you can use because everyone gets a bit excited in recruitment you see a good candidate so automatically you start selling a role but you have no idea what they actually want so using the fab cell the way i'm teaching it to people is they have to actually think about the person's motivator to create the good fab cell mm. so i keep things nice and simple i have a simple call structure that i use for every type of phone call um, around gathering the right information that you need, whether it's a first call you're doing with somebody or an interview prep call or an aftercare call, anything, just gathering all that information that you need first, gaining control, because a big issue with new recruiters is that control piece because they put clients and candidates up on a pedestal because they've been doing the job for years, whereas they've just come into recruitment, they don't know the job. So they feel like, how can I control this? So a lot of the work is around that control by using this sort of phone sort of format. So I don't like using scripts. I don't know about you, but I tend to get rid of scripts script as guy. soon as possible. Yeah, they, they just sound robotic and awful. It sounds like you call it's a call center and you, you can't have an active listening then. So if you have got a script that you have to use, I had a script I had to use internalize it and put it in your own words as soon as you possibly can. I would record myself on my phone doing pitches. I would pitch our products. I would pitch a role. I would pitch a candidate and just do it over and over again, doing a voice recorder on my phone so I could listen back to it and then find my style quicker so I was more comfortable. Mm. So that's something I always advise new people to do is voice record themselves over and over again with the same pitch, but in different ways, because reps make you better. Doing lots of repetitions of something, you will be better at it. And as we've said, like everyone knows, you can have days where you don't talk to anyone for hours on the phone because nobody's picking up. How are you gonna get good reps with that? Like how often do you have a negotiation call in your early days in recruitment? When you finally get one, you panic and you're like, 15%, yeah, great, I'll do that. And you end up getting rubbish percentages and mm. fees you don't qualify the job. So if you practice and practice, practice, you're already in that mindset. So when you get to the negotiation call, it's there and it just comes out. 
Um, so for, for new recruiters, definitely use the voice recorder on your phone. Everyone has a smartphone nowadays. If not, if you don't have a smartphone for whatever reason, like I've got a friend who doesn't, he doesn't like them, but you can record yourself on Teams or Google Meet or anything like that. Just record yourself somewhere over and over and over again. Get used to listening to your voice. It's horrible, but get used to listening to it and tweak it every time. Just getting those reps in, it's invaluable. It really is. Um, and then try not to talk. <laughs> right. Try and get them talking at least 70% of the time at least by asking good quality, open questions. So a workshop that I've done quite a lot with new people is around question types. So you're like, what questions would you need to ask about this? And they write them down and every single time they close questions. And that mm. is gonna, like you were saying earlier um, about the, the podcast you listen to where they're asking a question and then it's like no answer really. Like, that's what's going to happen. You're going to talk to somebody. You can say, oh, so what are you doing now? They're like, oh, this. Like, oh, how long have you been there? 10 years. What's it? Is it good? Yeah, it is. Like, there's nothing, you've got nothing to come off. Because if you're asking open questions, they're like me and they can just talk for ages, go off and you're getting loads of gold from them that you can probe in. So, yeah, massive focus on open questions and just record yourself to get those reps in are two key things I think for new recruiters um, and another big one is just learn just be a sponge and learn everything you possibly can from everybody like no one's going to have one set style so if you've got a, a billing manager who is coaching you or training you or whatever they're going to teach you their way because that's how they know that they've done it mm. doesn't mean it's going to work for you no there's, there's so many different styles like you could be a similar type of person but your personality means that actually being a bit more bullish and a bit more of a push salesman is going to work for you. Mm. But for me, that doesn't work. Like I can't do that. I'm far too chill for that. I'm, I'm more of a consultative pull, like pull sort of sales. So just listen, take in everything and then come up with a solution at the end rather than I've got a perfect candidate for you. Straight off the bat, I'm just like, well, don't even... I'm not even looking. Why are you trying mm. to sell me a perfect candidate? I've never spoken to you before and I'm not even looking for a candidate. So learn from everybody to kind of create your own style as well because you could pull one thing from like that really pushy recruiter that actually works really well for you. Yeah. Not the entire style, just one type of thing. So I think just be a sponge as well is a massive, massive thing. Because the first year in recruitment, first 18 months potentially, is just learning. Like, you're not going to be a great recruiter in a year. Absolutely not. There's people who have been in the industry for five, ten years, and they're still not great recruiters. They're still learning, um, which they should be. There's people in the 40 years that are still learning the industry because it's changing all the time. So lower those expectations. You sold the dream when you start. Off. Like, you're going to get, like, 40K OTE, all this training. The chances are you won't get 40k OTE in the first year. You're going to get your basic salary and some commission sporadically through the year. Yeah. Um, so lower those expectations and don't get disheartened by the fact you get rejected a lot. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's uh, it is rough. Like, I think also as well, like in your first year of recruitment, it, it's almost a gamble because a lot of people come into recruitment. They're not. They don't necessarily have like a degree or anything like that. And from from what I've seen, the people with a good degree uh, coming straight out of 
uni, they're the ones who tend to end up with the better recruitment jobs. So they're the ones who potentially have the better experience initially. But if there's people like me, for example, I didn't have a degree. I had a bit of sales experience, but it was quite jumpy. Um, you just sort of take what you can get. Like you just try and get into recruitment. I mean, the amount of people that message me saying, I just want to get into recruitment somehow. Um, there are places that will hire anyone. Like I know I had a friend who got hired and uh, they, they, they seriously used to take anyone who just applied pretty much they had that approach of like hire 20 people knowing we're gonna fire 16 and two will leave yeah um and that's where i think feel like people have that really bad experience so i do think it's a bit of a a gamble and a bit of a roll of the dice but also you need to like manage your own expectations like you said around the earning potential because a lot of these companies who say you're gonna earn eight grand in your first year i mean i have i have heard it happen but i mean that is the point one percent and yeah very few people right off the bat yeah yeah this is the thing um but it's usually like uh like you're usually you've usually got like certain talents that help you um get better quicker than than many like maybe you're confident maybe you're good with people whatever but you've also probably got you've probably walked into an extremely good market at, at the perfect time and you've got an amazing manager and support system working for a really cool company selling a really cool product etc and they've set you up for success yeah. whereas i feel like most people were like the majority are like sort of set up to fail and then it takes them like two or three job changes before they find their home whether that's a big cor- corporate company which some people like i personally didn't or it's like a little startup company where you've got flexible working and it's a bit more chill um but yeah i think the i feel like managing expectations is, is your own expectations are so important um yeah with like, regards so to people... go on oh so so many people say like, i want to get into recruitment because the harder you work the more money you get not necessarily true, um, because I know plenty of people that have worked extra hours in the morning and the evening. They work at weekends, they work at night, and they don't get anything extra for it because what they're doing isn't great. So yeah. they're just putting in all the hours, and they're not being told how they could do it. They're not being coached through, actually, if you just tweak it this way, if you open your call this way, if you send an email that way, if you speak to this person instead of that person, you could work less hours and get more out of it. So it's not necessarily just a work harder and you'll get more money, which is kind of a a stigma in, um, in recruitment is like, oh, if you, the more you do on the phone, the more you're going to get out of it, which isn't strictly true. Hmm. Yeah. I've got someone that just comes to mind. Actually, one of my friends who ended up dropping out of recruitment, he worked, he worked long hours, but I didn't hit what he was doing was not effective. Like, like you said, you can work long hours. You can you can work hard doing the wrong things. But if you're just sending more and more shit emails and doing more and more crap, calls, more and more, you're just gonna get more rejection. candidates. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's that's where investing in L and D is is great. So like here we've got two people for I think fifty recruiters something like that now. So that's twenty five people we can cover each. We're doing. Like, eight to 10 recruiters every week. So a large portion of our, uh, this is all one-to-one stuff. A large portion of our 
our recruiters are getting that coaching no matter what level they're in, which is really interesting. So I'm not just dealing with the new people um, which are try- who are trying to learn everything. Mm. Even the people that are billing like 100, 200, 300K a year, we're able to help them, make them even more, be more successful. Um, and whether it's a specific recruitment thing or like a mindset or anything, whatever it is related to anything remotely recruitment, it's we, we touch on. So because recruitment is so much more than just what you do on the phone. Here's yeah. a large amount of his mindset. Um, just because it's tough. It really is tough. I've never known an industry as tough. Mm. I was going to ask you that. So like, how do you, with a more senior person, say someone who's got like four or five years experience, um, is already billing consistently, you know, 150 to 250 K a year. What, what do you usually work on with them? Is it the technical side of things or like, do you revisit the basics? Cause I know no matter what you do, like sometimes you can get, when you're experienced, you start focusing on the more advanced stuff and you actually forget about the basics and you just sort of assume yeah. you're doing them when actually you're not. So like, what do you generally see and how, how do you generally help more experienced consultants? So before I coach them, um, I just sit and have a, a quick chat with them. Like I'll already know from their line managers kind of areas that they, they could work mm. on, or the line manager wants them to work on, but I'll sit with the, the recruiter and just be like, this is what's going to happen early days. We are going to go over the absolute basics. But we're just going to do that because obviously you're doing a lot of stuff. You're incredibly busy. So things are going to slip through the net. Bad habits are going to happen. So we're just going to sense check all of that. But then once we've done that, like, where do you feel that you need work on? Generally, they're quite self-aware. Well, especially here from what I've I've noticed, everyone seems to be quite self-aware and it aligns pretty well with what the line manager said. but then they get a bit of ownership over it. Um, so it's just a range of everything, really. We've got some people who are doing really well, um, but their business development could be slightly better. So they've got one or two really good clients, but nothing more than that. So as long as those clients are still hiring and there's no freezes, they're doing really well, but they haven't got any of the other stuff coming in. They've never really won any business of their own. Mm. I've either won over lapsed clients or inherited clients. Um, but some people are just so then focused on the, the business development side that actually they can't source candidates very well because they're out of the habit. So it's just refreshing that in their mind. So we're going over more of that. So actually one of my colleagues is that's like their speciality is more of the, the sort of the delivery side of it. So it might be that actually they are, yes, they're a recruitment partner, which I do a lot of work with, but that's their speciality is sourcing candidates. So we'll tag in there and be like that. This is how we're going to source some candidates. So we have a whole range of different things. Like we're having a real push on social media now because it's yep. a massively underutilized platform. It's everyone already has it. You can get it for free. And the amount of inbound stuff you can get from there, you can get candidates and clients coming in. Like we've had a, a couple of people that we've worked with recently who um, here uh, have started using LinkedIn for being strategic with it and smart with it. And they've then had lots of inbound BD, which has worked out really well. So just because it's inbound doesn't mean it's going to work. So they've actually then still had to win them over and stuff. But that's activity they haven't had to do. They've saved themselves some time there because their presence online is, is great. So it could how be the very How have you learned about how to use LinkedIn, though? Like, are you just sort of figuring it out yourselves or have you done official training? So, 
I kind of started just figuring it out and going for it and putting, um, I saw a, uh, a video, Sean Anderson, I think it was. Yeah. He put a video out. I think you commented on it, actually. Um, it was about how I never run out of content and because he just talks about what he's done that day with, with different recruiters. That's kind of how I got on there. Um, I, but I'll, I've never really been a good writer, so I'm more of a let's just walk and talk to my phone, get my big fat head on the, the camera and just go for it. Um, so I'm, I'm teaching myself how to write. Um, if you're not very good at writing, by the way, Grammarly is fantastic. Get Grammarly. It's completely changed the way I write. It's actually making sense of the gibberish that I type out. Mm. But um, we've also got a marketing department who are incredible, absolutely incredible. So they can create branding packs for our, our recruiters and be like, this is the sort of stuff that you need to post about. Um, they don't tell them what to post or how to post it, just more, this is more of a, a strategic way of, what you're doing. So we can actually sit down with them and be like, right, what's your market? Who are you aiming at? What level are you aiming at? What sort of stuff do they want to talk about? So we can go in that way. Um, so I get all my graphics and everything done for me, which is great. So if you've seen any of my content and there's a fancy picture, I didn't do that. That's my marketing team mm. or my carousels or anything like that. Because um, I tried to do a carousel on Canva and it took me about five hours and it was awful. They yeah. did it in about 10 minutes and it was incredible. So, um, yeah, we have a marketing team, which we can lean on as well, quite heavily. Um, so we're, we're starting to get around everyone and do social media work with them as well. So that's more of the sort of extracurricular side of recruitment that, that we're able to touch on as well. I quite find that quite interesting because people don't want to post on LinkedIn for a couple of different reasons, which you've probably come across and people see it on LinkedIn all the time, but like, <clears throat> I don't know what to write about. I didn't tend to know what to write about until I was writing it. But I just have a conversation with some people like, oh, actually, that was really good. Let's put that information out there because they needed to know it. So somebody else is going to need to know it. Um, so it's just what I've spoken about. So if um, there was one recruiter I was talking to recently about the sector they're in, it's quite a new sector. Um, and it's most of the companies are really, really small and just on a farm. And they're just starting from there. So. Um, She's got a couple of candidates, a couple of clients that are just telling her everything so about the process they're going through. Yeah, so it's anaerobic <laughs> digestion. So it's, yeah, right. it's, yeah, so it's, it's an energy. So we deal with a lot of energy stuff. Um, so whether it's power, renewables, nuclear. So the anaerobic digestion side that starts on farms quite often because it's just a load of waste that they then turn into electricity. It's all very scientific. I don't really understand the process, but, um, I've been, I've listened to a few calls that have baffled me, but, um, yeah. So I was just like, I'll create a document of every single thing that they're going through, uh, whether it's like planning permission, how they go about that planning permission, how long those things take. So you can then start not only using that in your calls with clients, but you can then start putting that content out there so that all these other small yeah. places are seeing it and going, oh, this person really knows what they're on about. Let's get in touch with them. So it's just doing simple things like that. If you don't know what to write about, just write about what, or talk about what you've spoken to people on the phone about every day. Mm. Um, and also that kind of, um, we touched on it earlier, like people not agreeing with what you said. It's just an opinion. Recruitment is mostly just opinions. Yes, there's some do's and don'ts, but um, mostly it's just, this has worked for me. Like frame it in the, the sense of this is how I've done. It. This is how I've built my desk to two hundred k. This is how I've won over clients. People are going to say, "Well, that doesn't work." Well, it clearly does because I've yeah. done it. But 
that that's what's worked for me and not necessarily saying it's the way to do it, but that's what's worked for me and open discussions. Like, firstly, it's great for your impressions. If you're open discussions with people, more people are going to see it. That's only a good thing, but also it's, you're putting that across your point and more knowledge about why that works. But then you're also being a sponge and learning why somebody else has done a different way. And there's might be something you can take away from that. So like I've, I've had it before where I put something out there, somebody didn't agree with it. We started a conversation. I was like, do you know what? I really feel your point. That's a really good point. I don't disagree with what I've said, but actually, yeah, what you said is actually a really good point mm. because you can't know everything about recruitment. Like Greg Savage even says this, and he's started recruitment pretty much. Um, like he still doesn't know everything; he's still learning. So if he doesn't know, how's everybody else going to know? So I think LinkedIn is something that people just kind of need to do. Like I didn't do it very much at all. I very rarely did it. I just started doing once a day, once a week. Then I went to three times a week. Now I'm five to seven times a week. It's just habitual now, and I don't care if people like it or not. Like it's my mm. opinion. You don't have to agree with it. Just yeah. like and comment, just to boost my impressions a little bit. That's what happened with me. Like, I because I actually did um, Hoxo's training. I didn't do it with Sean. I did it with um, a guy called Joel Augy, who's gone on to become yeah, yeah. his own beast. But um, yeah, massive. Yeah, they they really helped me. Like, if anything, just sort of give me direction. Because for me, it was I really wanted to post on LinkedIn, but I was so scared of my employer having to go at me for posting the wrong thing, getting fired. I think that's one of the main reasons really getting fired and then losing clients as well. Like, cause I think in your head, you think, I think it's an ego thing. A lot of it's an ego thing where it's like, you think you're the main character and you think everyone's reading your stuff and people build, I like, I've done some personal branding training with, with a few people um, when I started to get some success on LinkedIn a couple of years ago. And one of the, like you said, the, one of the first objections you get is I don't know what to post and I know like what I'm allowed to post. So I'll just not post yeah. it. Just be safe. And I don't, what I don't want is to post something, my clients or my candidates or something disagree with me. And then suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm in big trouble. The reality is that never really happens unless you post something like that's actually quite offensive or racist or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, so I always tell people what they definitely shouldn't post. Like, mm. If they're going to post that sort of stuff, I'd like to think they weren't really in the industry anyway. But um, yeah. yeah. It, it's just common sense, really, isn't it? But yeah. some people don't have common sense. Like, whenever I speak to people about it, they're like, you know, I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, well, just just as long as you're not i always tell people to start off commenting because i think commenting is is less uh and this is what i learned with hoxo by the way so that they, they i think they started off with us off with like first two weeks you just do one post a week um and then you do like five comments a day 10 connections a day to build your audience and when you comment don't be vanilla like don't sit on the fence don't be like hey great post because you're not actually contributing to the conversation and you just look like yeah. you just look like you've got nothing to say so you're better off probably not posting anyway but at least give your opinion as long as it's not racist as long as it's not hateful criticize ideas and not people is, is another line i really like yeah and um but commenting like tends to get people it builds the habit which is one of the main things because you pretty much just need to tr- treat LinkedIn like Twitter or or um, Facebook or whatever else you use, in my opinion. 
and you just sort of jump on it for five, 10 minutes a day, couple, chuck a couple of comments out, leave it like you would on any other social media. But for some reason, well, for obvious reasons, people get a bit nervous about LinkedIn. Um, and then over time, as you, you, you know, as you, as you said, once you start doing one post a week, you're like, you sort of, you put a video out there, shit yourself. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to like, everyone's going to call me an idiot and say my ideas are rubbish. No one does. You might get two likes and maybe a comment saying, Hey, my post. And then it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, sorry, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, we, we've started doing videos quite a lot and the recruiters really hate it. They, they don't want to be in front of the camera. Um, but clients and candidates love it. Yeah. We rip each other for it, but, um, and we've got hours and hours of outtakes, which I can't wait to see all of them, but, uh, which is always good for a laugh. So if anything, you might not be a great video, you might not use it, but the outtakes you'll get will make the office happy. That's, uh, that's always a win. Hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, we were because I think if you're going to do it, you need to properly do it. You need to commit to doing yeah. it because your because your your first like your first few posts, your first few comments, your first few videos, especially, are always going to be cringe. Like no one like just oh, jumps on camera and like Gary V. No, your first video. Yeah, my first video I did on there was an absolute shocker. Um, I don't know why, but it looks like I'm in a sauna or something. It's really like misty and granular. And because um, I just decided to do it on a whim because I was in one yeah. of these training things um, with the grads and they kept talking about being like being ghosted by candidates. And I was like, I was sitting there because I'm a bit of a loser really. And I'll sit at home when I'm not working and think about recruitment. Um, and I was like, oh, do you know what? This is a great piece of advice for them. So I just recorded it. And put it out on LinkedIn just so that they could see it. And um, then a few people were like, oh, that was, that was quite good advice, actually. And I was like, cool. Even though the video you're looking at now, I'm like, why did I put that on there? It is such. So you can scroll back through my videos, and it's the first one I did. I look like a deer in headlights. It's not very good lighting because I'm not very good at that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really bad like cinematography of my, my video. Um, but yeah, just do it. Just get on and do it. Like you don't yeah, need a big I, production. Just commit to doing it. It's. I I I think I think just creating content. Generally, you're always going to look back on your stuff that you did a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, and think it's bad. I mean, sometimes objectively it is quite crap, but context as well like you know what how many is it your first post you know you've got to be you'll be kind to yourself like um one of my one of the most interesting things i think about is i don't know if you watch ever watch south park yeah like years ago yeah so i'm a massive south park fan and um i mean i, I love adult animation like that's bojack horseman obviously uh, if you don't know about bojack horseman check it out on netflix one of the best shows ever made. Bojack horseman, but i've seen adverts mate it's, uh, it's amazing like if you like adult animation it's um, basically. Do you ever watch um, God, what's it called, Arrested Development? No, I've never seen that. I'm not a massive TV watcher, to be honest. But right. I, I know of these things. I just don't actually get around to watching them. Well, li- little plug for BoJack because I absolutely love it. Um, it's so basically, he. It's a bit of a weird animation world, um, and some people are humans, and some people are, like animals. It's just. I don't know why they did that. It's just a stylistic choice, I guess. But 
anyway, basically, Bojack Horseman, it's he was really famous in the 90s, right? On like a sitcom. And right. it, it's set like 15 years after, like 2013, 2014. It's sort of like, imagine if the only thing Will Smith did was Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Imagine if that was all he was known for. And then he's yeah. sort of done nothing since. And then in like 2013, 2014, he released a book to try and get famous again. But he's actually just been an alcoholic and a drug abuser for the last 15 years. Imagine if that's that's all it was. That That's the only thing he ever yeah. did. That's basically what the premise of the show is. And he's like, right, he basically yeah. made loads of money from this show. He's done nothing since. And then tries to have a comeback in like his late 40s, early 50s. Um, but it's like really, it's really dark. It explores like drug addiction, depression, anxiety. Um, but it's also got like, um, you seen Breaking Bad? I've seen a couple episodes, but mate, yeah. but you're missing out. Everyone's like, oh no, you've got to watch it. It's amazing. I watched it. I'm like, oh, it's not very good. They're like, oh yeah, but season two, that's when it picks up. I'm like, yeah, but when I get to season two, I'm like, oh, season three, that's when it will really pick up. I've, I've watched all of yeah. The Walking Dead. I've done enough of the stuff where you've got to wait for the next season for it to be good. Yeah, I know what you mean. I was just about to say yeah, to you, actually, um, Bojack doesn't get good until, like, episode six, I would say. I'll start um, But it is, uh, it is awesome. But anyway, um, what are we talking about? What are we talking about Bojack? Oh, it's South Park. So, anyway, South Park, um, <laughs> the creators of Matt Stone and Trey Parker, right? Yeah. So um, Trey Parker's the one who does, I don't say most of the work um, because I absolutely love those guys, but Trey is the one who does all the writing that like he writes right, all okay. the episodes. Um, he's the main creative brain behind it all. And he, he was quoted, I think a couple of years ago saying that he really hates like the first five seasons he thinks that he's watched them back and he think he cringes. He thinks they're absolutely horrendous. South Park fans think that's like the golden era of South Park. Like that's when it was at its best. So I to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the late 90s, early 2000s. It was amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still good now, but especially recently with the COVID stuff. But it's just funny how content creators and artists, whenever you create content, you always look back at your stuff and think, you know, I should have done better or whatever. But I think it's, again, an ego thing. It's like, you're you're not looking at it objectively there's emotion involved there's ego involved um and yeah that's always going to be the case but you don't know like you can post something on linkedin and any platform but on linkedin specifically because we're talking about recruitment you might not think it's very good but you post it and then it blows up and then you post something that you think is amazing and no one no one cares yeah, like I've only been using LinkedIn properly for about sort of eight months. Uh, well, that's when I started doing like three videos a week or whatever. Um, but like a couple of the biggest posts I've done, the ones that have gone, I've like, got the most impressions by far, I knocked up in like five minutes. And I put, I, I put effort into it, but I didn't like sit there for hours thinking about every single word and how it's going to fit. I just wrote it, did it. So I, like, I need to get someone out now, post it, done. They've gone massive. And then I've done some other stuff where I've poured my heart and soul into it. I'm like, that is so good. Like, that's a good piece of content, a good bit of advice. I've spent hours on that and no one's seen it. And you're like, oh, like, ridiculous. Like, recently, I did the, the mandatory 
back to school photo on LinkedIn because I was like, why not? So I put a picture of my daughter up outside of her school, like um, just about going back to school like everyone does. That got more likes than anything else I've done in the last two weeks. And I was like, why do I even bother trying to do good content when I could just like the bikini back from holiday pic, mm. like gets more impressions and stuff. But like, I'm, I care more about it being good content, but I don't over edit it. So with my videos, um, we've got a little lake that I walk around and most of my videos are done at that little lake. And I'll take a couple of takes um, and I'm like, I'll re- watch it back and go, oh, should have said that, should have said that, should have, but, I'll be here out for hours making this like two minute video. If I keep doing that, I'll never be happy. So don't strive for perfection on your posts. Like just, just do it. Just, just get consistent with it. And yeah, like you say, you're going to look back and cringe, but it's out there now. It's done. It just needs to be good enough. Good enough. Like 7.5 out of 10. That's actually, it's funny. I'm glad you raised that point because actually when I started training someone about personal brand and I say training, like I don't even I'd literally just been posting on LinkedIn for like four months. I was getting some decent success and, um, you know, my colleagues started saying, Oh, how do you actually do this? Or what do I actually post? Um, so I was, I said to them, like, you know, I gave them some tips, some of what I did. And then I think it was like nine o'clock in the morning. Like I was like, you know, write your post and get it out and then we'll, we'll see how it does. And I was like, I was like, don't ever think it. Like, honestly, no one, like your first few posts, probably no one's going to see it anyway. You haven't got an audience, yeah. but, but just, just do it anyway. Don't ever think it. I think we got to like 11. I've been doing some sourcing or something. So I've been headphones on sort of thing. I was like, how's your post doing? And uh, she said, um, I haven't done it yet. I'm still working on it. And I was like, still working on it. I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, I've sort of rewrote it. And then I sort of binned it off and rewrote another one. And now I'm just going word by word, checking grammar and trying to make sure the tone's right. And I'm not offending anyone. And I was just like, and it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like a, particular to be honest a particularly interesting post it was just some it was just like posting for the sake of posting sort of thing um and i was just like have you actually spent an hour like thinking about this post and analyzing this post and you could have been doing recruitment i was like just get it out there see what happens because you've got to test stuff as well again you, you yeah. yes it's very likely that occasionally someone is going to disagree with you and 100%. that's just part and parcel of creating content. That's a part and parcel of sales. You're going to get rejection in life and you're going to get people disagree. Some people are going to be assholes as well. Some people are just going to be in a bad mood. Uh, I've seen one of my friends, she, um, she had someone who, uh, like basically was bullying her on her post because he's a weirdo and he's, he's, a he's obviously not in a very good place himself. And that's what the block button's for. Right. But that is going to happen. Yeah. But, you know, the, the upsides of it all. And the more you do it, the better you'll get. And the better you'll get, the more audience you get. And um, you also learn a lot as well, like you were saying earlier. Like, I I always... And it's, sometimes it is difficult, you know, if you're in a bad mood or whatever. Again, ego. Um, you know, you put, put a post out and you're like, this is how I do it and it works and it's great. And now someone else is like, no, that's wrong. You're you're wrong. That's, that's stupid advice. Don't listen to this. Um, but you, if you can have an open mind about it, it's a really go, great place to um to learn about different ways to do things um yesterday's yesterday's a good example actually so i I put a video out yesterday on tiktok right so 
I was speaking to, I think, Will Aurid from Lavender put a post out about TLDRs. Now, TLDRs are usually used on, like, Reddit. You know, too long didn't read for a lot of people who don't know what that means. And basically what you do is you say you've done, like, a long... This isn't for you, Martin. I'm sure you know it is. But um, for everyone listening, if you do, like, a long Reddit post, that's, like, four paragraphs, you would use... It's, like, courtesy to sum it up at the bottom. TLDR, too long didn't read, and then summarize it in, like, two sentences, right? and then Will said, oh, you should do this on your, on your emails. And I was like, do you know what? I've never thought about that before. Yeah. Um, and then I did, a, I did a video saying, oh, you know, really good idea, actually, really like this, add a TLDR at the bottom of your email. And I had a couple of people comment and saying, wouldn't it make sense to add it to the top of the email? And I sort of thought about it, and I was like, do you know what? Actually, it probably would make more sense to do that. So I put a comment on my video just saying, do you know what, as per comments, it's probably better to ignore my advice and put it at the top of the video. Um, but I've learned something, you know, and that, that like yeah. those little things could be the difference between you making a sale or not, booking a meeting or not. So being wrong is, is one of the best ways to learn, right? Absolutely. We learn from our mistakes. So yeah, like I never, I never kind of shame people for trying things and getting it wrong. Like you don't know unless you've tried it. So give it a go. Like I'm actually more like, yeah, Fair play for giving, unless they do something shocking. But no, they shouldn't do. But I'm like, yeah, give it a go. It's the only way you're going to find out. Like, everyone in recruitment has just done stuff, seen how it's gone, adjusted, tried it again. But like, yeah, that TLDR thing, but in the beginning, that's quite a good idea. <laughs> like, I think using it at all in an email, I'd never thought about that like yourself. And that's, that's really good um, because. Clients, candidates, they're not going to sit and read a massive email. So if you can just summarize it, it's great. Um, but that could be a whole different discussion with at the beginning or the end. But yeah, well, so, so basically... Try it, see how it works, I suppose. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Yeah, try try and see if it works. But because um, the way I was thinking about it is, because uh, I looked into it as well, it's so doing it at the bottom of a post is when you're telling like stories mm-hmm. or yeah, like that sort of stuff. Whereas where where basically it's a spoiler, right? So like for example, yeah. a movie. If if you had a TLDR in a in a book, right, at the start, and you'd you'd read it automatically, not knowing that it's a summarizing the book, and then you'd be like, right, the whole book's ruined now. I wanted to read the five hundred pages. Yeah. Um. So if you're telling like a story or whatever, like I wouldn't do a TLDR on content, um, because it's usually story based, and you know you're usually talking about um past history and that sort of stuff right and it ruins the content however if it's a sales email and you're sort of summarizing next steps or whatever um maybe you wouldn't do it in the i don't know maybe you wouldn't do it in the initial outreach but for like emails to your clients and stuff like you know long emails summarizing candidate feedback or something like that you could be like yeah. you know, tldr steve really likes it likes the job wants to accept and then the more detailed feedback or something. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's quite good. Like there some some situations that would work really well, actually. Like, like you said, the feedback. Like here's a quick snippet you can just read quickly, and then here's the full shebang, like everything they've said, so you can really analyse it and work out what you want to do. I think that's a good way of going about it. I've never thought of doing emails like that. Um, yeah. See how that goes. I'll do some, some work with some people and see how report back. See if we get any response from it. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious myself. But this, these are just the little things that you learn. Like, if you've got an open mind, um, you know, I've spent hours and hours learning about how to send good emails the last year or so because it was oh, yeah. something that I didn't realize was a weakness, and it, it turns out it is. And, um, you know, I'm still learning little things by being wrong, by the way. You know, I posted up, put myself out there, um, post, you know, gave some advice, and then someone corrected me and was like, actually, try this. And I was like, yeah, you do know what? It's, it's, it's a pretty good learning lesson. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I think, I think it's really important, especially for people just getting going in sales and recruitment. And it's something I really, really struggled with for my first few years uh, in sales and recruitment. And things didn't really click until I managed to sort this out. But it's like day planning and time management. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think... I think one of the main the main issues, and again, this is this is probably like because many agencies don't have an L and D or a coach person who's actually thinking about this kind of stuff, and they just purely focus on recruitment basics, sales basics, how to qualify a job, how to win business, how to book a meeting, how to source candidates, blah 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 blah, the technical side of recruitment, but they're not thinking yeah. about stuff like time management, productivity, that sort of stuff, how to plan your day. So. What advice would you give to people in like their first year of recruitment that struggle with time management? How 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 do you go about that? Yeah, well, time management is massive. So just like you, uh, I struggled with it when I first started. It was chaos. I didn't really know what I was doing, where I was going. I always had time where I was just sat there and I, I've done everything. What do I do now? And I hated it. And I'd just be sat there for like an hour. Uh, just pretending to work because I don't I don't know what to do. Yeah. So um, yeah, one day it did just kind of click about rather than just having a task list, which is what everyone has. Is like these are the different tasks I need to do today. Bang through them, done. Cool. What am I going to do now? Is I am quite ruthless with my time, so I've still got books from when I was recruiting in 2018, and you can see that when it shifted um, because. I didn't have any of these fancy like KPI tracking systems or task management systems or anything like that. We just had a bog standard database, a mobile phone and crack on. Um, so everything I had to write on paper. So I was really, really ruthless and I got into the sort of important urgent scale. I used to love that. Yeah. So if it's like super important and urgent, I need to get on that right now. If it's important, but it's not urgent, I can just not think about that for a little bit. If it's urgent, but not important, at least still needs to be done, but can somebody else do that for you? Like nowadays, could you automate it? So we've put a lot of effort, and we're still putting a lot of effort into automation, um, whether it's emails being sent, or like, so we use Hearfish. So ever soon as you put people on shortlists or anything like that, they get emails straight away just saying that like, you can add it to this shortlist, here's some information. So we're automating a lot of stuff. So that stuff, we don't need to worry about. So that's another bunch of stuff you don't need to think about. And then you've got the unimportant and not urgent. You shouldn't even be looking at that. That's like scrolling through a LinkedIn feed. The amount of time I used to spend doing that, and I know every recruiter has had days where they've spent a lot of time on LinkedIn without really doing anything. It happens, but that's in there. So we can be like, right, this is the activity I'm doing. I shouldn't be doing that. Let's actually go back to this. So I would go, I would use that personally. I thought that really worked. But again, that's just still a task list. So I would block out time. So everyone's done power hours before. That's basically how I did my day. 
So I'd have an email power hour. I'd have like candidates power hour, BD power hour, like CV power hour, creating job ads power hour. That's getting my tongue tied there. But um, like I blocked everything out. So I was like, right, I have this much time to do it because it is, it is a, a thing like, if you give yourself two hours to do a task, it'll take two hours. If you give yourself 20 minutes to do the task, it'll take 20 minutes. So not only do I have the task, I set a deadline for when I need that task done. And then if I, like if I'm sourcing candidates, for example, I've got two hours. If I get to the end of two hours, which is was quite a long time for sourcing candidates for me, but for example, um, if I get to the end of two hours and I'm still trying to find people, there's no point in me doing an extra 20 minutes. Like I'm mm. calling it quits and now moving on to the next thing. If at the end of the two hours you've just tweaked your Boolean or whatever you're doing and you're going, oh, I've just found a load of candidates here. This is amazing. Extend that time, absolutely. But you know somewhere else you're going to have to reduce those tasks. Um, so I would time chunk massively. So when I work, I've worked time management with a lot of people, I've done group sessions, uh, it's something I do basically every week with people is like, where's your day plan? What are you doing today? When are you doing that? Why are you doing that there? Align it with KPIs. So a lot of people will either, especially through, like, with the, the 360 typical recruitment pro, like, model you have, people have to do candidates and clients. They'll prefer doing one over the other. Generally, people prefer doing the candidate side because it's a bit nicer, less rejection, um, so they'll look at their KPIs and go, okay, cool. My jobs are down and my business development is down. I need one CV for the, the month and I've got 10 days left of the month. Um, and interviews are fine. So I'll, I'll do an hour and a half in the morning, just of my BD, get that done. And then the whole afternoon, I'm going to work on some jobs and get more candidates out. That is setting yourself up for failure because those jobs will disappear and you've got none coming in. So it's, is changing that mindset of actually look at your KPIs. What is the biggest issue? What, there's your day plan. You've got a chunk of an hour and a half and a chunk of three hours. Your biggest issue on your KPIs needs to be the bigger part to boost that up. So that's how I ran my desk. A lot of time chunking and blocking out time, important urgent matrix and aligning it with my KPIs. But all the theory of that is great until you come into your desk at half eight and by quarter to nine, you've got an email and everything's gone wrong. The whole plan goes out the window. So I like to block in reprioritization time. So when I've done like my two hour sourcing, what is the most important thing? So I would, so when I'm calling a shortlist, everything is shut down unless I need it open. So like my database would be open and maybe a job description if you're going to use one. Um, but everything else, emails, LinkedIn, team, internal Teams chats, all of that is shut down because it's just distractions. We've all been on uh, a call with a candidate. You've had a little pop-up come up saying you've got a message from someone. You're not listening to the candidate. You're reading the email straight away. So as soon as that phone goes down, you're on the email. You're now that on that wormhole and you're not doing anything else. That email could have waited. So as soon as I come off of the, the, that hour, that two hours, everything opens up again. Has anything come into my emails that I need to deal with right now? If it has, where can I fit it in? How can I shift my day around? So I would do that a couple of times a day um, because yeah, recruitment, you can't just day plan and like Monday night, come in Tuesday, 
crack on your day plan and expect everything to work out fine. It doesn't work that way. So every evening, the last task you should do before you log off, go home and don't think about recruitment anymore, is your day plan for the next day. First thing you do when you come in, reprioritize that. Has anything come in overnight? Have you thought of something that actually you do need to do that you haven't put in there? Then crack on, Re redo the, if you need to, then crack on. So that for me was the turning point from just being a recruiter that's trying to keep my head above the water and trying to keep hold of all the processes and missing out on candidates and clients and things dropping out all over the show and just being like, how the hell do you do this thing? To actually being proactive, like thriving in the water, like treading water comfortably, not really having any fallouts, not missing any BD calls, everything's like comfortable. I'm not struggling and constantly fighting fires because I had yeah. that so rigid. And that was one of my biggest strong points was my day planning um, and just setting myself those targets because going back to the, the new recruiter sort of stuff, you've got to trust the process. Like KPIs are there for a reason. Whether you love them or hate them, they are there for a reason. My KPIs never ever reached like all of them reached what my company wanted me to when I was recruiting. But for me, I worked on the ratios rather than just the numbers. It's the story behind the KPI. Like phone time was great, but my CV sends were low. But from my CV sends, every two CVs effectively was a an interview. And every two interviews was a placement. So I knew the four CVs out, that's a placement. But stats-wise, I'm supposed to get three CVs a day to get one interview. Mm. Um, so I was never sending the, the quantity, but I was sending the quality, um, which doesn't work for everyone. I know that again, it's not the same for everyone. And just because you send the right amount out, there'll still be people saying, well, just send more and you'll get more results. Yeah. Um, but yeah, putting those KPIs into your day plan, like, how am I going to do that? I need to hit 15 CV cents this week. I only did two on Monday. Let's not just be happy with three then on Tuesday. Let's try and get four. Um, so, you know, trust the process, get those numbers out, use them as small targets rather than just, oh my God, I need to do 25 BD this week. How am I going to do that? Break it down and just like, you know, well, that's, if I do one every other hour on a day, one BD call every two hours, every hour and a half, easy. I can do that rather than thinking 25 straight off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. like breaking things down into like manageable chunks, isn't it? And um, yeah, not looking at it uh, as like a monthly thing. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm quite a, a strategic, logical, I like a process, I like a stat. Like I love cricket and I love American football. They're very stats heavy. I love that stuff. So what I try to get recruiters to do as early as possible is look at things from a statistics point of view. Like, what is your average fee? Granted, if you're brand new, you've never made a fee. You can't do that, but you could use your team's average fee. Like, what are you likely to have an, have an average fee? Your, your target's 5K for the month. Your average fee is 2.5K. Simple maths. That's two placements in a month to hit target. Brilliant. So we'll reverse engineer this. So how many interviews does it take to get that placement? Okay, so that's five interviews to get that placement. So you now know that's 10 interviews you need in your month to get those two placements. Then go back again to how many CVs do you need to get one interview? 
Okay, so it's three CVs to one interview. So that's 10 interviews you need. That's 30 CVs you need to get out the door to hit those two placements. So I'll try and get recruiters to think in this mindset constantly because it is breaking it down. Rather than thinking, oh God, I've got this target. It's actually, well, well this, this many placements, that's this many interviews, it's this many CVs, this many jobs I need to work. So this many BD calls, how I need to do, how many I typically need to do to get this many jobs in. You can then start planning your month, not just your day, you plan your month, your week, everything around those KPIs. So as you get into it, you'll have your own KPIs and ratios that are you know, means tested and you've got enough of a, a back catalog effectively to, to know that those ratios are right. Um, you can start doing that with your own figures, but I would say start thinking about it that set that way now. And that will make your life so much easier. You'll have more of a strategy around how you're working. So your day planning, you know, is going to work because it's all well and good going, oh, okay, we'll block everything out. I'll block all this time. But actually, there's no reason or rhyme as to why you put those tasks in. So don't fight against KPIs, embrace them, use them. Um, and also for me, that is the first thing I look at with people is like billings, KPIs, like ratios, they're the same thing as KPIs, but people like to split them up. That's the first thing I look at because I use them as a diagnostic tool. Okay, cool. So you've missed out. Um, I've done it with quite a few people recently, but you've missed out on your target. Like you had this many placements, this many CVs, this many interviews. Why is there such a big difference between your CV to interviews? What's going on with these CVs? Like, is it, and then you can dive into that. Like, so we need to actually improve your CV to interview ratio because you've got the right amount of CVs out there, but you didn't get the placements. So we can start looking at whether it's, are they the right candidate? Like, are your calls good enough to qualify the correct candidates and work out if they should be sent over or not? If they are, great. What's the process from CV send through to interview? Are you, like CV feedback interview, are you keeping in touch with them every couple of days? Or are you just saying, oh, I'll let you know when there's some feedback and three weeks later, you're like, I've got you an interview and they've already got a job or they've completely forgotten who you are and what your job was. So is that process broken? Does that need some work there? Um, or is it a client management piece of like, you've sent all these CVs over, they're banging CVs, they're perfect for the job. You've kept them warm for every couple of days throughout the process, but the client's being slow or the client's not giving you feedback. Do we need to work on how you're gonna work with your client there? So the KPIs are a really good diagnostic tool for where to start your coaching. So I would start looking at those. And if you're thinking, well, I'm doing as many CVs as everybody else, or I'm getting as many interviews as everybody else, why am I not getting the placements? Look at your KPIs, see where the, the downfall is, and dive into that and think about every single thing that could be different. It could even be that actually you just need to get rid of that client. They're just not a good client, and you're sending, mm. you've sent 10 CVs to two jobs, and you've heard nothing back from any of them, or they've changed their brief every time. So it might be that actually, I just need to get rid of that client, start focusing on getting more clients in. Yeah. No, mate, that's awesome. Awesome advice, very in-depth as well. Um, I think that's actually a really good way to, to end the podcast. So um, yeah, no, thanks so much for, for coming on, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure loads of people take tons from this. Um, where can people find you to like follow you and stuff? Uh, so on LinkedIn, um, you know, I think it's probably, I think I've put a custom URL, so I think it's just my name, so Martin Hodgkinson. Um, but also on Astute LinkedIn as well, I'll be on there. Um, TikTok, I'm on there, I don't want Instagram, I don't do that much on there, because I'm not really a social media person. 
Uh, I'm more LinkedIn, so go there. And if you want to be coached by me, go there. Um, so, yeah, but one thing before we go, I'm putting you down for donating to my run. Okay. <laughs> You're not getting out of it. Um, so, because I'm killing myself for this thing. I hate running with a passion, but um, right, we're, we're sponsoring Young Lives Versus Cancer this year. Um, because we've seen the great work they've done. A former employee of ours um, actually had, had cancer, and we've seen the great work that they did for, for him and his family while he had cancer. Um, his former employee has gone somewhere else, not because of any other reason. But um, I, we've got loads of different things going on. So we've done simple things like a little bake sale. Uh, we've done a 50K walk through Dorset somewhere. Um, we've got two people out in France now doing Mount Bouet, a uh, massive mountain. Mount Bouet, where's that? Near Mont Blanc. Oh, it's okay. It's in the French mountains somewhere. Um, the French geography is not great. But yeah, it, it looks stunning, but they're climbing that. Um, they've been training for five months for that. And then there's a bunch of us here that are doing the Great South Run, which is a 10-mile run through Portsmouth, where we're based. Um, and I, I'm dreading it, to be honest. It's on the 15th of October and I've, I've done a seven mile run as my biggest run so far. So I can do 10K, uh, 10 miles, which is 10K. Um, but yeah, I'm getting there and we're trying to get 10,000 pounds for Young Lives Versus Cancer. We're nearly there. So we just, um, every Friday, pretty much, I'm posting about it. So once you found me on LinkedIn, it won't take you long to find the link to, to donate some money to a great charity. Um, because, you know, they help so many people. I did a post about um, the fact that if there's a young person with cancer, their family have a £730 extra a month expenditure while they're, yeah, mental, right? That's like a whole mortgage coming out. So if you've already got a yeah. mortgage, you've got another one coming out just on top. Who has a spare £730 a month just because their kid's got cancer and is ill in hospital and then probably can't actually work. So, you know, it's a, a bad spiral going on there. But Young Lives Versus Cancer help with all of that. They can give financial advice and they help uh, with accommodation because sometimes people aren't close to the hospitals. So they really, really help. It's a fantastic charity. So donate to that. Um, you can track me on the actual run as well, um, but please don't because it's going to be horrible. Um, and there's going to be a really cool video of me running on a treadmill soon. So look out for that. Give that a little like. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what uh, we yeah, do is we'll um, you, you send me you send me the details of all that. We'll we'll stick it in the main post yeah. in the comments and everything anyway, so oh, it'll brilliant. be easy for people to find. Um, but yeah, mate. Other than that, like you know, but absolute best of luck on that. I'll definitely be donating, and um, yeah, look forward to uh, to to seeing how it goes. What, what when did you say it was? Fifteenth of October. Yeah, fifteenth of October. So not long. Yeah, not long at all. Well, hopefully, it's not as hot as it is now. Oh god, if it is, I'm not doing it. Feel free to donate, people. Awesome. Nice one, mate. Cheers for coming on. <laughs>